When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Woke Bros. I'm your gracious host, Big Wozni Lambre. <laughs> And of course, on the other line is my man, my compatriot, my comrade, my brother, Michael Jamal Brooks in Brooklyn, New York. What's good, brother? How you doing, man? Great to be here as always. It's good, it's good. And of course, Rob Lopez on the ones and twos, fresh off of NBA draft coverage, man. He's wheeling and dealing, rubbing shoulders with the power brokers of the NBA. Rob, man, I'm so happy you made time for our little show today. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the, the tomorrow in Brooklyn isn't, uh, isn't until about 7 p.m., so I got about 24 hours for you guys. Fantastic. Now, on today's show, me and Mike are going to talk a little bit about the cultural phenomenon that I felt like has been Chernobyl. Everybody who watches it is blown away and just finds it to be an ex- excellent piece of, you know, historical documentation, art, just great storytelling. Um, So we're going to tackle that at the end of the show. Of course, Joe Biden has his foot in his mouth again. Um, He's just he's just a ridiculous character in this um, in this presidential cycle. We're going to tap into that. But first, Rob, guys are terrible at taking care of their health, man. Whether it's a knee injury, a back injury or something even worse. Guys are usually more comfortable just rubbing some dirt on it. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Can you even believe that? Something that important? Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for erectile dysfunction online. Roman is a one-stop shop where you can get where you can chat with a licensed U.S. physician who can treat ED and, if safe and appropriate, ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, no awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com BOM, complete an online visit, chat with a doctor, and if the doctor decides that it would be safe and appropriate, they'll shift the genuine medication right to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't tackle, but with Roman, it's really simple. So take care of it, man. Seriously, your lady's gonna appreciate this. Or your guy, you know? 
Who knows? <laughs> For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. That's GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. For a free online visit, GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. Man, it feels like Groundhog's Day, Mike. Um, those of us who lived through 2003, 2002, the, the run, 2001, it really, it started immediately after 9-11, the run-up to the Iraq war, and how ridiculous the lies were, the exaggerations were, the conflation of Sunni and Shia Muslims were, were it was all just ridiculous at the time. And we're kind of seeing the same thing with Iran right now. And I know Mike has been talking about this on several of his many platforms because he's a multimedia superstar at this point. <laughs> But we wanted to tap in on it on Woke Bros, man, for the people who listen to this show. And, That's right. And Mike Pompeo, he's going both in public spaces, private spaces. He's telling people that Iran and Al-Qaeda have some kind of alliance going, um, even though it makes absolutely no sense that they would. Uh, one being Shia Muslims and the other being Shiite Muslims. Um, obviously Mike Pompeo doesn't respect the intelligence of the American public and their ability to discern between scary people with turbans on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it, it just seems like deja vu all over again. Right. And he's being asked directly if, cause you know, back in 2001 in our haste as an American public and especially the Congress's haste and just dereliction of duty. They just basically passed an act that said anything having to do with Al-Qaeda, the the um, the executive branch can do whatever the hell they want. They don't need to, cons- um, you know, uh, speak to us. They don't need to de- debate strategy, debate the merits of any of these actions. Just do that, George Bush and your cronies and Dick Cheney. They passed a law that said that th- that that would be the case. Mike Pompeo has been asked if this this administration would, you know, seize that law as basically a green light to do whatever they want out in the Middle East if they can say, oh, Al-Qaeda is doing it. Um, he's been kind of coy, dodging the question, Mike. Man, this <laughs> it really seems like deja vu all over again. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, down to, you know, obviously like, all too many Democrats who, on one hand, are, you know, freaking out about everything that Donald Trump does, but then all of a sudden willing to, you know, meet him halfway on something as catastrophic as provoking a war with Iran. The other two, I mean, the things that I just want to say there, and, you know, the real important points that I know we were going to hit, too, is, you know, there's a there's obviously a bigger history here of the relationship between Iran and the United States. If you're Iranian, you might start that relationship by looking at the 1953 U.S. Baku, which yep. knocked out uh, Mossadegh from power. Mossadegh was a very, very, in fact, very moderate, very good Iranian leader who wanted to nationalize and you know, familiar story, nationalize the oil, use it for Iranian benefit. And so, therefore, got on the other side of the United States, and there was a CIA engineer coup. If you're, you know, American, obviously, there's still a lot of very raw feeling about the hostage taking taking after the Iranian Revolution. But the reality is, is that in this modern iteration, and there's a ton of history to go over, you know, uh, between them. But like, 
there was a deal that was struck on nuclear on nuclear proliferation between the you know P5 plus one I think it was and Iran and every single grouping internationally including the State Department of the United States affirmed that Iran was following the letter of the deal. Donald Trump tore it up because he's a narcissistic baby and also because there's really extremist, crazy people in the administration that want to provoke things with Iran. And I think, you know, he just didn't want, you know, he resented the fact that Obama led a successful negotiation. And then, you know, the other thing, though, that's wild, and I, I mean, it's not totally like deja vu, I think, because, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people can push back on it. And you do see that in social media and alternative media, and even to some extent in Washington, because now obviously you have great leader, you know, people with like, you know, like Bernie Sanders coming out there really strong against it. And now he has some power and profile now as like an actual responsible, intelligent leader. But, you know, the press, though, like I'm just looking at Barbara Starr from CNN. She's the Pentagon correspondent. She was another great launderer of, uh, of lies and hype by the Bush administration before the Iran before the Iraq invasion. And here she is, you know, every step of the way, just pushing, um, you know, all of this uh, disputed and or debunked stuff about Iran, including, you know, like, uh, just, you know, just basically affirming all these assertions by Mike Pompeo and the Trump administration, which are most likely lies uh, and distortions. Man, you hit on something important there in the distinctions between the time period of right now and back in 2001, 2002, 2003. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to describe the, the, the atmosphere after 9-11, right? Like this wasn't something that, you know, and I say this all the time, like most happenings now, they happen on the Internet for like two weeks, tops. And then we kind of move on to the next happening. This was not that. This thing had right. lingering effects, ripple effects for years where that paranoia, that hysteria, that fear could be used years and years and years down the line. Like, oh, we can't have another 9-11. Um, I think we're, we're past that point now with that. And, um, you know, another thing is that it had been, what, 30 years since we had gotten out of Vietnam, damn near. And that that had precipitated a, an entire feeling, a distaste of foreign wars, right? Like stepping in the business of other people and losing young Americans and spending a shit ton of money and just basically wasting everybody's time for nothing. Like Americans had grown weary of war, but the memory had sort of faded and receded by the time 2001, 2002 came around so that the notion that, you know, we can, like, who can forget aluminum tubes, right? Like, right. Who can forget? I mean, Judy Miller. My goodness, man. Judith that, Miller that, is out. Judith Miller is at Fox News promoting shit with Iran today. Was one of the main. I mean, a journalist who just smuggled. She was just a launderer for the Bush administration in the New York Times. I mean, she should be completely out of public life. She has blood in her hands, as far as I'm concerned. Hundred percent agree. I mean, it's it's hard it, to me. It's hard to see how there could be any disagreement there. Uh, at the same time, man, I, I just think when it comes to 
the Trump administration's close ties to Bibi and Israel. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't discount the influence, the um, the close relationship between those two entities and their interests, right? And not just them; it's the Saudis as well. Um, they they love. Um, what 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 are we calling him? MJB or MBJ? Oh, MBS. MBS. MBS that I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about Mary J. Blige. My bad. <laughs> She's you. Don't confuse a very good singer with uh, some fucking probably. Well, I'm not even gonna say it. But he's a you know, murderous dude. Oh, he's definitely a murderer. I was there was some coke rumors that I was gonna get to, but oh, without a doubt, murderer. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and the administration from day, from basically from the gate between Kushner, between all of these people have formed the close alliance with the Saudis and the Israelis. And so, man, between John Bolton being an influential national security advisor, Mike Pompeo now basically trying to tie them to, to, um, Al Qaeda, man, yo, the, the forces, the forces are gathering. I think it's important that we monitor what the media is saying about this. And, it, and this has to become a central issue in the presidential race, as far as I'm concerned, because we still aren't out of Afghanistan. We still have a presence in Iraq. Like, we, like these wars have gone on for damn near 20 years now. We have a global, I mean, not even, the, I mean, we already know that Barack Obama radically extended the drone war in yep. places like Yemen and Pakistan. which was a big problem and something I strongly objected to when he did it, that's happening under Trump. I mean, there's higher rates, of course, of civilian deaths under Trump. So when you look at that original authorization that Congress gave the Bush administration to respond to September 11th, that has been used for all these other wars as well as to have like permanent drone wars in Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia. So, I mean, I agree with you. This needs to be front and center. I think that, you know, this is definitely another area where, you know, again, obviously I support him 100%. I'm in the tank, but Bernie Sanders has, in fact, not only is he taking a lead on Iran, he was the only Democratic member of the Democratic caucus in the Senate to vote against sanctions against Iran in in, uh, 2017, which was definitely a big part of, you know, of of facilitating this new spark. And I think, you know, now, because of what they did by so recklessly um, and buffoonishly tearing up this deal that everybody was following and abiding by, not only do Democratic candidates have to fight against a war with Iran and talk about the Iran deal, they're going to have to say, like, look, you know, the reality is that the next president is going to have to be contrite, is going to have to lead diplomacy, and is going to basically try to have to restore the fact that, you know, nobody's going to trust us and with good reason. Like, it's a basic credibility question. And, you know, and it empowered the hardliners in Iran, right? Like, when a couple of years ago, when the president and the foreign minister got the right permission from the supreme leader in Iran to negotiate with the Obama administration, the supreme leader gave himself political space because he was like, yeah, you can do this, but basically never trust the Americans, <laughs> which right. you know <laughs> works well for him, right? Because yeah. of what Trump has done. And, you know, so to me though, there's still a lot of Democratic candidates like, yes, they ended up supporting the, the Obama administration. They'll be a little critical of Trump. But at the end of the day, they still are repeating all these APAC talking points. They're still 
wedded to the same old dangerous, dead, and deadly Washington foreign policy consensus. So they don't really have much to say about this. And this is, you know, I mean, if it escalates, this will be the most dangerous thing happening in the world right now. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's interesting to contrast Bernie back in 2016 and Bernie now, because one of the major critiques was that Bernie had no foreign policy platform, right? It was like, oh, he doesn't really care about foreign policy. He's strictly about domestic policy and what he can do to um, help Americans. This time around, to me, he's got the strongest, clearest vision of what American foreign policy should be as far as on the Democratic side, right? Like, we already know what the Bookers and the and the Kamala Harris's and the Joe Bidens of the world, they're going to be the hawkish types. They're right. not going to... I mean, Barry, uh, he definitely... It's hard, right? It's like, what happened in Libya was terrible. Uh, the drone war in, in, um, in Yemen was beyond terrible. It was just unconscionable. In Pakistan, yeah. In Pakistan. But, like, the bottom line is the yeah. Iran deal was historical. Right? Like, that was groundbreaking. Oh, huge. Unbelievable. 100%. And it's funny to be in this position where, you know, like, people on the left who are much more willing to strongly criticize Obama on Wall Street and drones and all these other important areas. But we're the ones saying, like, my God, when are you going to go to the mat to defend this man's most important foreign policy legacy? It's an incredible accomplishment. And frankly... Uh, tons of, I mean, look, the stuff they did in Brazil, awful. But Barack Obama, John Kerry, and Wendy Sherman, as far as the Iran deal goes, that crew, that trifecta, I mean, that's like the biggest accomplishment in modern U.S. foreign policy. Right. And so, you know, we, we got to, we, we, can, we can acknowledge both truths about the last administration. Yes the last dem- Democratic administration without being, like, hysterical, hypocritical. It's like, all right, this is what happened. Now, these new candidates, they got to step up to the plate because, again, um, we do remember in 2008 when a big part of the reason why uh, B- Barack was able to beat Hillary was that he could beat her on Iraq. He could say, I didn't vote for that war. I thought it was a bad idea. You loved it. You're hawkish. You're out of control. You're over the line. These are issues that are winning issues and people care about it because they have lasting effects, right? Uh, We put those two wars on a credit card and we're still paying for it, right? But then every day I got to hear, how am I going to pay for it? Nobody asks how we're going to pay for Iraq and and Afghanistan. But every day I got to hear, how are we going to pay for people to get basic healthcare needs, you know? So the reason why we highlight that on today's show is because it's important. It's just, and it's something that everybody should be thinking about when the, as, as they go forward and making their decision about who they think should be the next leader of the United States of America. Oh, 100%.
speaking of which, uh, we're going to pivot a little bit. And I guess just spend a couple of minutes <laughs> talking about how trash Joe Biden is. Uh, I mean, a couple of things we want, just want to hit on. And, you know, what's crazy is like when you talk about this guy, you could be like, oh, do you mean the fact that he opposed uh, efforts at segregation, at uh, desegregation in the 70s? Do you mean <laughs> that he voted for the Iraq war? Do you mean that he was the author of the bill to make it impossible for students to deal with their student loans or for you to get out from under the thumb of your credit card company? Or do you mean the fact that he was a major part of, uh, you know, the Obama administration's approach to drones uh, and so on, or the fact that he argued against, uh, you know, apparently Obamacare covering contraceptives, which is both really important <laughs> for women's health and actually turned out to be very popular for the Obama administration. But what all we're talking about is not Joe Biden's just like, and, and not even to mention, of course, being the prison industrial complex. So, you know, we're not even talking about all the ways in which Joe Biden has been a bad politician and on the side of reactionary and corporate interests. We're just talking about the last couple of days where he went to a bunch of wealthy donors in Manhattan and told them that, you know, their lifestyles wouldn't be really impacted by his plans, <laughs> promising to everybody that he's not going to do anything serious about the crisis of inequality and wealth concentration and the fundamental injustice and danger and rot to democracy that that poses. And also the fact that you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we got to figure out how to work together, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of more different, complicated conversation. But this is a guy who always uses the most extreme examples to illustrate that, including this a former segregationist senator, I believe, named James Eastland, yep. who was one of the most arch, bigoted, you know, horrific members of the Senate, somebody who should obviously be in the trash heap of history for being an American apartheidist. Uh, Bill de Blasio, actually, you know, there's there's room. Bill de Blasio, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, tell us, what did Bill de Blasio do? Because I think Bill de Blasio Bill actually de... does. He deserves props for this one. He 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 posted a picture of his black ass family on on, on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, yo, boy. <laughs> he said, "Are you kidding me, bro?" Are you... And by the way, I want to give a shout out to Chuck Pierce. Um, because he he actually pulled up, because because the part was about being civil and civics and all of that, and he pulled up some old quotes from old James Eastland, and I do want to read a couple being, of passages. Being civil, being civil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quote to quote James. This is this is a letter to the president of the United States, by the way. The Southern institution of racial, racial segregation or racial separation was the correct, self-evident truth which arose from the chaos and confusion of the Reconstruction period. Separation promotes racial harmony. It permits each race to follow its own pursuits and its own civilization. Segregation is not discrimination, Mr. President. It is the law of nature. It is the law of God that every race has both the right and the duty to perpetuate itself. All free men have the right to associate exclusively with members of their own race, free from governmental interference, if they so desire. End quote. That's the great James Eastling, y'all. <laughs> I also noticed that, that Biden, I think Biden also said, you know, 
He called me son. He never called me boy. I'm like, With well, not a, yo, yeah, I mean, maybe James Eastland did not consider like dirty mix to be 100% white. But, you know, Joe, I think there's a reason that he didn't do that with you, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, the other thing I want to say, too, that that just just the last thing, I want to get your thoughts on this because is, and we've been pointing this out um, uh, more so, I think, on the majority report. But just, like, every time Biden says basically, like, I mean, first of all, it's so fucking delusional. The idea that somebody is still saying, oh, you know, when Trump goes away, the Republicans, you can work with them versus recognizing what the Republican Party is, is, is should be is disqualifying in and of itself. But also like the fact that, you know, on one hand, he's running as, you know, Obama's best buddy, which is really like the only reason he has to run for president. But the fact that he keeps saying, like, let me try that again is so backdoor insulting to Obama. Like that's what Obama did with these people for eight years, partially because Obama, you know, is a right wing politician in some ways and so on the substance, but also because it's his ideology. And then, you know, they repaid him with, you know, just, I mean, you know, Merrick Garland. I mean, like, yeah, at the great. end of the day, it was fucking, yeah, with, with, you know, and then Donald Trump becoming president. So, I mean, I, I, that's the other thing too. I mean, what do you think about, Biden constantly talking about that in light of the fact that that's what Obama was trying to do. And it's, you know, it's obvious the many reasons, but including clearly the racial one, why that wasn't going to work. It's just a, it's a weird posture to take. If he wasn't in, like, if he wasn't directly in the administration, right? Like, let's just say, I don't know, he was Hillary Clinton and he was secretary of state, which like, your demands are basically not on Washington. Like, the, the, like by definition, your job has nothing to do with Washington. It's about everywhere else, right? Um, maybe you could say, uh, you know, maybe Barry was trying and wasn't doing it and blah, blah, blah. But, like, bro, you were right there. Like, you were day in and day out with this. Like, do you just think that you're just a more effective communicator? You're just better or, like, I don't know. Like, I don't understand how he thinks he could take that posture with all the mountains of evidence that were accumulated over eight years of this man's presidency. I don't understand. It's just baffling. It's just delusion. If it's not delusion, he's just outright lying. Yeah. Which there can be no, um, like, there's no good read on that. (laughs) No, I agree 100%. The only thing I would add to that was that, you know, something that Obama and Biden both you know, people need to know it's a matter of the historical record that in 2010 or 2011, they offered the Republicans a horrible deal on cutting Social Security and Medicare, something that would have been so bad for poor working and middle class people in this country, something I'll never forget Obama and Biden put on the table. In fact, the only reason it didn't get passed is because the Republicans were already, of course, so crazy and so demented that they basically were like, fuck your 75, 80 percent. We want 100 percent. But when I hear Biden talk like this and when I hear the way he's still you know, sucking up to these oligarchs and the people that have ruined this country, and of course he has to because he's never going to be able to raise money from normal people because he's not popular like that. The you know he's he's not going to be able to run some type of grassroots campaign. 
I, it really bothers me because it's like, well, wait a second. In you know, Joe Biden's president in 2021, all of a sudden he can work with Republicans again. What does that mean? Does that mean that all of a sudden we're back to cutting Social Security and Medicare after all of the 100%. work? You know, so I just a hundred percent. That's I, what it means, Mike. Get the fuck out of here. Get the <laughs> Jesus Christ. Should have just stopped. He could have been a fondly remembered Uncle Joe. People like us would have known his real record and been like, yeah, but, yeah, dude, like really. but it wouldn't have been a topic of conversation. But, you know, he's got to run. So we got to just show what it is. That's, that's life. That's that's just how that goes. Like the universal nature of the praise that it's um, received is is kind of like cool to see, especially in the wake of Game of Thrones just being the most going from being the most popular to the most polarizing thing that I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's pretty <laughs> cool to see that Chernobyl. Did we, talk, did we ever talk about how Game of Thrones ended? I don't think that we did, I, and which I think is for the best because people were just so ridiculous. I think it would be fun in like two years to revisit. Game of Thrones, like, like away from the hysteria, away from the just like everybody trying to get an edgier take than the next one and this and that. And, oh, the writing is lazy. And this everybody turning into freaking William Shakespeare all of a sudden. It's just like, all right. I think right. in a few years when we have time to sit back, relax, digest, um, actually have to confront what you know, what's left in culture, right? And and realize that there's a huge void. I think people will be like, oh man, I think we might've been a little bit too hard on the last season of Game of Thrones. The show was phenomenal for the most part. Um, but yeah, I just thought, I I, I just, I just been really I interested. <laughs> I've been interested in the Chernobyl reception because, um, you know, the trailer, it was just the type of world happening and event that you learned in history class. You knew of it, but I didn't know really anything specific to it. Like I don't, I didn't remember it being something that happened within the Soviet Union. Uh, I didn't remember it being like not that long ago. You know, when you think of like something like a nuclear disaster, just like a new technology that people just started handling and all of that. Like it's been like fifty. I mean, not fifty. Like thirty-five to forty years of nuclear energy being a thing, right? So it's like. Man, um, it's not something, an event that stuck in my head. And then I actually ended up listening to the podcast, which is sort of a newer thing. Um, the creator, a guy named Craig um, Mazin, I hope I'm pronoun pronouncing his last name right. He actually pitched the idea to HBO of like, no, we're going to do a companion podcast piece to talk about the historical events surrounding the stuff that happened within the show. Like this guy did a lot of deep research for this, talked to a shit ton of people, went to Chernobyl. Um, he did a lot of work behind this project and I think the work kind of shows. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, kind of hear, cause I've been talking about the show basically since it came out. So I'm very interested to hear your perspective on the show, especially as a big commie like me. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I was, I was actually, I mean, I was interested in the show, to be honest. I was a little bit, a part of me, like, I, I kind of, I mean, not always, but I kind of reserved, like, streaming for, like, all right, I want to take a fucking break. Like, you know, I prefer to just rewatch Silicon Valley sometimes. Sure. Which is actually a really funny, really smart show. But, um, no, I... I, so I watched it because you recommended it, actually, and want, and want to talk about it on the show. And, yeah, I mean, first of all, just it's it's powerful. I mean, it, it just really grips you. It will pretty much sadden and enrage you from the jump. Um, and it does an amazing job of getting into so many dynamics. I mean, obviously, some of the really – specific incredible dysfunctions and corruption of the Soviet Union but then I think also some much broader concerns about about power um I also but then I also love like the miners you know like those guys come in as just yeah. like you know just I mean literally like of the earth dudes and just the way you know, there's all this incredible selfishness, dishonesty and delusion and then a lot of, you know, a lot of innocence and then also a lot of people just, you know, in a way that's so realistic. It, it's interesting. It's like, oh, this is how people become heroes, right? Like they just sort of getting on with it because it's what needs to be done. And that's so fucking disarming. I mean, it's, you know, it's very different, but it does kind of remind me of the same, of the way, you know, first responders would rush into 9-11 or, you know, examples like that, where it's like, you know, people do these extraordinary things and, you know, they're not really thinking about it or putting on the Rocky music or whatever. They're just like getting on with it in this way that, you know, like makes human beings so impressive. But uh, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, it's hard not to think of it in terms of like, things happening today. I mean, obviously the, you know, the kind of the obvious one I think is, you know, of course, like the fact that, you know, of course, in the extreme example, Trump and the Republicans, but even just globally, I mean, frankly, like we're going to really need to fundamentally transform our economies, graduate out of capitalism if we're going to deal with the climate crisis. So that there is like a kind of, you could argue that there's like miniature Chernobyls going on every Gosh. second in terms yeah. of like blowing off science. But on the flip side, and this pisses people off all the time, right, when I say this, but like, you know, especially like in the kind of like nerd zone, which overlaps with, you know, you know, definitely like I think certainly people that would listen to this and people who would, you know, be really into politics or the quant side of sports or you know, popular science or whatever, which, you know, I know I give people shit for it, but actually like, that's cool. You know, like I, I'm not opposed to that as much as I'll fuck around, but at the same time, like there's this been this real pop, like science interest and craziness about nuclear power. And I've gotten like multiple calls on TMBS on MR of people telling me that like I gotta listen about the science of nuclear power and blah blah blah, and I just you know and I know I can already see the people melting down. They'll say the technology is different. You're you know you're not saying science can evolve. Blah 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 blah. But the truth is like it's just a worldview. Like to me, you know it's like yeah 
It's absolutely 100% safe. It's absolutely scientifically updated until it's not. (laughs) And when it's not, this gives you a dose of the type of just raw human impact of that. And I wish people would watch that and not think about having like these little side debates, which frankly, let's also be honest, unless you're like a nuclear physicist, you don't fucking know. And really just get serious about, damn, like, do you really want to put that kind of risk into play? It's already fucking horrifying that we have so much of this material on Earth to begin with. And we're mining it for energy or whatever we're doing it for to, you know, weapons, actual weapons of mass destruction. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I think the two the two things that 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 I found very interesting, especially as somebody who was born in the late '80s and like you know I grew up watching Channel Eleven and I watched Rocky Four, or I watched <laughs> Rambo and yeah. or I watched Die Hard and yeah. like the depiction of Russian people as just the most monstrous, evil, machine like um, you know. These, like, basically aliens, right? Like, always portrayed in American mass media as, like, these other type of just weirdo people and they're strict and they're this and they're that. It's just to watch an American um, American piece of culture and media uh, extend this level of empathy to the people who lived um, under the Soviet Union and, you know, or in Russia or Ukraine or whatever, um, it was, that was pretty cool and very striking to me. It's very rare that I see something on American TV about Russian people that is this empathetic and, and quite frankly, like admiring, right? Like, the, like these, these kids that they send up on the roof to 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 shovel off the 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 black I, I guess it was asphalt I forget what it was but like this like radioactive graphite? ass graphite, graphite. yes yes this yeah, yeah. radioactive material like these kids were 19 20 years old you know um the the the, the miners the dudes that they sent down into the the water to shut it off and basically was like yo I guarantee like it's pretty pretty much guarantee you're going to die um, if you listen to the podcast that the the showrunner did, um, those guys actually ended up surviving and living pretty decently long lives. Um, Thank so God. they came out to be heroes. Uh, I mean, they are heroes, but they actually they were lucky enough to come out on the other side and be better. But like, there's not even good statistics on the amount of people because of the nature of the regime, and you know, that's not the type right. of thing you want to keep accurate statistics on if you are regime. We don't even know how many people lost their lives because of this. Um, so yeah, I just thought, I just found that fascinating that Soviet people could be depicted in such a beautiful way. Not Soviet people, but you know what I mean—the citizens of the Soviet Empire. Um, and the second thing, like I said, is just like the bureaucratic drudgery and just bullshit that I think rings true in so in most institutions, most right. large institutions. Um, I remember Ethan making the, 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 the comparison between like when back when he was working at CN, CNN, I mean, not CNN, ESPN. And, um, you know, the difference between working at ESPN and say like some independent media companies, like 
ESPN is the Titanic. Like, you can't just turn on a dime. A little media company can be a speedboat. They can dart. They can do different things. But, like, the nature of the beast, like, these things are slow. And these things, like, these customs become entrenched. And, like, your job becomes not doing the right thing but staying in good standing within your job, right? Which often isn't aligned. And we see that with the main character in the story with doing the right thing. Like being promoted and moving on and having a directorship of a prestigious like little program or whatever, like a lot of times progressing in in that direction has nothing to do with actually making the right decisions within your job. Right. And like it just shows you the problems with bureaucracies and entrenched governments and, you know, just what turns uh, idealistic you know, people, young people with great ideas into just the dullest, the most rigid bureaucratic waste that there is out there. It's just incredible to see, man. And I don't think that that's something unique to the Soviet regime. I think we're seeing it, and I'm glad you brought up the climate change comparison. We're seeing it now with that. <laughs> like, it's just bureaucratic, old guard people blocking um, blocking the way, and of course, capitalist interests, because capitalist interests have their fingerprints on literally everybody, because that's the nature of capitalism. I mean, everything, excuse me. But, you know, I just, I, I think it's, you know, that 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 um comparison you made, Mike, is a brilliant one, because you're seeing it right now in real time. Yeah, I mean, I love what you said, actually, about the depiction of, you know, really Russians as human beings, which is kind of funny, because even in today's sort of like, you know, fever dream world about all things Russia, that's still very rare and people definitely still have, you know, I mean, I think it's, to me, like, I think obviously it's a fun stereotype to play with and, you know, there's a comedy value in it, but at the end of the day, like it is actually pretty wild. Like I was, I was actually thinking about it cause I just, I just was, I watched uh, Creed 2 recently, which is a fucking great movie. And what to me is so funny was that it loops back to that Rocky uh, four storyline. And, you know, like there's still the villains, but it kind of humanizes them, at least as like a father and son. basically. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sitting there watching this. I'm like Creed two with the Russians as the villain still is probably one of the more humane treatments of Russians that I've seen in pop culture. It's yeah. Like, you know, well, at least they've got their own motivations, their own problems, whatever. Um, but you know, but I think like, so that's such a good point. And I think like, and I also love the point that like, look, of course, you know, as a historical, you know, dying bureaucracy and what, unfortunately, what the Soviet union, you know, what started, I mean, obviously I'll always maintain that, you know, the spirit of the 1917 revolution is actually a pretty amazing thing, yeah. but obviously we know, you know, we know, for a variety of things, how things were, you know, turned out in a variety of ways. And then by that point, like even with Gorbachev, who obviously was in that context, very much a reformer that, you know, you just have this dead, corrupted, corroded bureaucracy that is, you know, way more committed to its own lies, delusions, and mini power games than saving people's lives. And, you know, reading the reporting about, you know, party officials rushing their families out of the area while they're telling local people it's safe. I mean, it's, it's really disgusting, but yeah. so, so I'm not to minimize that, but I also love that you're making the point that it's like, look, I mean, this is, you know, this is, um, 
you know, Exxon and Chevron paying this is how it goes to put out dishonest. You know, this is this is bureaucracy. The cigarette companies like yeah. this is how like this idea yeah. that it's it's yeah. it because, it, uh, you know, some people, of course, that as we do as Americans, we'll get on our high horse about how great our country is. And that could never happen here. That's not true. <laughs> you know, like and, and, and Jade brought up a great point. He's like, that could never happen here. Have you ever heard of the financial crisis? Of 2008, like, did any of those people pay a price? Did anybody care? Did anybody, you know, jump in the jump in the way in our government and say, no, we have to do the right thing? No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Like, and a lot of times, that's what happens. The most powerful interests often get away with things, man, for a very long time. It takes sometimes it takes a long time for these guys to get to get their comeuppance, right? Some would argue the cigarette companies. Never got their comeuppance. They got sued by a few people, and you know they had to make some payouts for the lies they told about cancer. But please, like, <laughs> you know, right. they got away with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, people get away with it. Sure, there's gonna be a few scapegoats every now and again, but you know, people get away with it. I just think uh, it was just. I just think it, it. To me, I don't think of all this Russian bureaucracy. I just think that's just how bureaucracies tend to go. Hundred percent. Um, I think that's all we got for today. Yeah. Uh, make sure you guys get your tickets to the TMBS live show in Chicago, Illinois. When is that? Ha- where, where's that happening August again, brother? 20, August twenty fourth, Lincoln Hall. See you there, Midwest man. Let's do this. That should be fun. Um, obviously, make sure all of you guys are subscribed to the Bomb Feed. Rate. Please stop what you're doing right now. Go into the, the 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 podcast app, rate us, write a beautiful, long, glowing review about how much you love what we do here at Woke Bros. And of course, Black Opinions Matter. Uh, make sure you subscribe to all the other counted dings entities, the Friday mailbag, you know, pack your knives, make sure you become a patron. We really, 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 really. We really count on the support that we that we receive from our patrons. Uh, man, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. Rob Lopez and Jade Hoy, myself, we're all trying our very hardest to put out incredible content over there behind that paywall. So if you got it in you to pay $3 a month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. Um, we will see you guys next week. For Michael Brooks, I'm Big Wazma. All right, guys, beautiful. All right, uh, that was great, y'all. Talk to you soon, guys. Later, guys. Yeah.